We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As usual, stay tuned for the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. And all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now... On to my guest for today, Troy Bannister, founder of Particle Health, an API platform that collects and integrates health data. Troy's interest in entrepreneurship was sparked when he was growing up on an island near Seattle where he made money cleaning boats. He saw firsthand the opportunity entrepreneurship provided with income possibilities and time flexibility as opposed to most other jobs his friends had. His interest in medicine led him to first becoming an EMT in college, where he says he learned a ton. He went to medical school but dropped out, leaving with a master's degree. He moved to New York City, where he did research at hospitals, then moved to working with a venture capital firm that focused on healthcare companies. Choi started to ask questions about the use of data in the healthcare industry, where fax machines are still used to share patient files. Wow. Using Stripe, Plaid, and Twilio as models, he founded Particle Health four and a half years ago. Choi's timing for founding Particle Health was strategic. He knew that healthcare was in need of better data access for providers as well as consumers, and that legislation was passing to make this more of a possibility. While companies are supposed to share data when it is legally requested, they often don't. New legislation now mandates fines for companies who don't comply. Much of the future success of Particle Health will rest on how the legislation will be enforced and how companies choose to comply. Meanwhile, Troy and Particle Health are offering data integration solutions to healthcare companies that understand the importance of being able to collect patient data in order to better serve them. Eventually, Troy sees Particle Health also offering consumers the opportunity to collect and keep their data in ways where it can be used more effectively in order to give them more choice and power in their own healthcare. Now, 
Let's get better together. Troy Bannister, welcome to the Thank podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I I say that really slow because I got his name wrong to everyone that's listening. I called him Tony. I'm an error. I hear <laughs> I, people mess up Troy with Tony every week. It's very bizarre. Yeah, no, it's weird. I mean, people mess my name up because my name's weird and that's just the way it is. So I get it. But I have one of my good friends, his name Troy. So sorry, Troy, if you're listening. <laughs> have you seen that study where they take a sentence and they mix up all the words in the middle of the, they keep the la- the first letter and the last letter the same and you can still read the sentence. Yeah, yeah. It's well, super bizarre. It's you, it, it, what happens is I think you just sort of fill in the blanks, right? You're like- You just fill in the blanks. I've always seen this this way, so. Tony, it's Tony, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I always say, I just got to get the name right. The rest of this job's easy. So um, you are the founder of Particle Health, which we're going to talk about. And um, I'm always keen on anyone in the healthcare industry, especially bringing technology to the healthcare industry because it's so far behind. As everyone knows, that's listened to the show, uh, was the founder of a digital health company that tracked the temperature and location of perishable medical supplies so they won't spoil. So I'm intimately in aware of the challenge, struggle, and absolute, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, cluster <laughs> F yeah. that the healthcare yeah. industry is. So yeah, I before, mean, our, our, our biggest competitor today is the fax machine. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I know the status quo, yeah. right? You're like, what? That's, that's, uh, that's what we're up against. Totally, totally. Um, but before we talk about that and all those sort of great things, as I always like to say, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of give a quick um, overview here. So different chapters in my life kind of led up to this. I think um, kind of started in high school. I uh, started a little business. I grew up on a little tiny island outside of Seattle, and I cleaned boats. And, you know, all my friends were working at the grocery store, the ice cream shop, you know, summer jobs. And I was cleaning boats. I had a completely flexible schedule. I was making tons of money and I was like, this is cool. Um, you can kind of just create your own destiny. So kind of got the bug early. Um, when I went to college, I signed up to become an EMT and I worked in an ambulance on weekends um, over the summers. And <laughs> it was an interesting uh, dichotomy of being in a fraternity and working in an ambulance, very little sleep in my life. Um, but I absolutely fell in love with medicine when I was working in the ambulance. It's for anybody looking for kind of a, a, an adventure job um, in your early years, it's an awesome, awesome job. It doesn't pay well, but boy, do you learn lessons about life doing that. Um, and so I kind of caught the bug. I switched to pre-med. I went to med school and I dropped out. I hated it. It was the worst. I was, I was in a depression. <laughs> um, and so I, I made this really hard decision to leave. I got a master's degree in um, physiology and biophysics just with all the work I had done. Um, that brought me up to New York and I was doing clinical research at um, some hospitals up here, Mount Sinai. And um, I kind of got involved in what was back then called M Health, which stood for mobile health, is now you know, commonly referred to as digital health. Um, but it was like using the cell phone in the normal you know, day-to-day medical world, <clears throat> which was like a mind-blowing idea at the time. Um, but like simple things like let's text, let's set automated text reminders to our patients to take their meds on time. And oh my God, there's a 10% ER admission rate if we just text people to remind them to take their meds. So that kind of opened my, my brain up into what else was possible 
uh, possible in the, in the healthcare world using the cell phone and the internet. And so I joined a small venture capital firm um, out here in New York called Startup Health. Um, they're an accelerator model. So you work really closely with the entrepreneurs and they have a fund, write checks, kind of seed round um, up to series B-ish. Um, and so I learned a ton about the entrepreneurial world. I met hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs over my three years there. And that was where I really clearly identified this problem, which was I'm building a digital health company. You know, let's say I'm managing diabetic patients, but I have no access to their medical histories. I don't know what meds they're on. I don't know their lab results. I don't know what doctors they're seeing. I know nothing. And I can either fax for their records or ask the patient directly in some you know, form, which nobody fills out well. And so um, when I looked around, I saw companies like Plaid and I saw Stripe and I saw Twilio. And I thought, why is there not a analog of that for clinical data in the health, healthcare world? And as soon as I asked myself that question, I created a list of 10,000 reasons why it could not possibly exist. <laughs> um, mostly, you know, regulation policy, misalignment of incentives, all sorts of stuff. Um, but I, you know, jumped into it anyway. And, you know, fast forward now four and a half years, um, we've, we've ultimately built what I set out to build. Um, it works and it works really well. And um, I think this is kind of the beginning of, of a really interesting period in healthcare. Um, so that's kind of the quick story. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like what all you said, like I could feel the bile just raising in my yeah. throat because when we were in, we were working with clinical labs and most people don't know, but clinical laboratories actually can make money as opposed to every other part of healthcare, which is literally just some random number generator that they don't really care about. But um, they're run differently but they have the same exact problem, like hooking up to the lab information system. You know, the, the result, I mean, generally now results are a lot more automated because they literally have these machines that look like manufacturing pick and place machines that test the blood. And they've just, you do a CBC, it just goes through this massive process, but boy, what a nightmare. I mean, you're, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, facts, like you're competing against the fax machine, like, People yeah. still fax stuff to the doctor's office. Oh yeah, and how dumb is that? <laughs> and so, how's it been to try to get traction for that? I know for us, traction was super hard, and one of the reasons was the the, the line that we heard constantly is like, "Well, this is the way we've always done it. Like, we don't really have an incentive. You know, no one cared. No one they cared, but they didn't care." They didn't yeah. care that they were having all these errors in the lab because they were losing samples. Or this one thing is if a sample gets too hot, like it changes, the, the totally. changes, right? Didn't care. So what, what was, what were some of the challenges sort of getting that traction? Um, traction is slow until it's fast. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, the question is like, what is that point in time? Like, how do you get to that point? Um, for our business, it's two-sided, right? There's organizations that hold data data holders. And then there's organizations that need access to that data, data seekers. Um, data seekers are our customers and data holders are our data partners. The, the fortunate thing about our timing was that two big pieces of legislation came through um, right around maybe a year after we started the company. We knew they were coming, which was a big reason why I pushed to start it when I did. Want to be a little early versus a little late. Um, the big rule that is the most important rule is called anti-information blocking. And like it sounds, it's basically saying, hey, hospitals, hey, EMR systems, hey, labs, 
algorithms. You cannot block access to data anymore. If somebody wants it and they have the legal right to obtain it, you have to give it to them through a technically feasible way of their choosing. So <clears throat> this rule, it was actually part of the 21st Century Cures Act, which is Obama's last act out of office. It was turned into the law during Trump's administration and is now being um, uh, 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 it's now finable. It's now something you can you can submit a complaint and get a fine for. And so it's after you know four years of this process, it's actually starting to to pick up. But essentially, what it means is we can plug into all these these organizations, and if a request comes for a record, they it's illegal for them not to return it. And so when you ask how is traction, um, it wasn't really up to us. <laughs> it was up to the governments um, turning this on and really good timing was really the, the secret to success there. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know about that. I mean, I knew about the affordable care act stuff that drove some of the adoption for what we were doing because people were looking to be more efficient in the clinical lab. Now clinical labs are pretty efficient generally when it comes to those, like their process compared to the rest of healthcare, because yeah. they run it like a manufacturing line. I mean, you know, sure. A CBC is a CBC. CBC is complete blood count for those yeah, yeah. who don't know what CBC is. Um, that stuff's like just cookie cutter, right? Um, but the challenge was, to your point, one of the things that, that there was not a regulation on, it was implied, was that you had to maintain temperature of the sample, like its integrity. They had the very strict regulation, very like the what's called the College of American Pathologists, they had the list of it. In the lab, it had was like check, check, check. Outside the lab, eh, it was a little loose. So I'm curious if how that kind of played. Like, was there an was there when when this adoption was happening? Um, were people were were companies fighting it? I mean, what was sort of the how how did that kind of roll out? Like, I, I know big you big time, yeah, big time. I mean, the the first problem this rule tried to solve was can doctors get access to all of your records? And that should have been an easy one, right? Like who's going to have a problem with a doctor looking at your medical records? Well, a lot of people did, um, particularly the EMRs and the other doctors. And for the doctors, the problem was we don't want this data going out because it could lead to malpractice. If the information gets out and gets in a lawyer's hand, they find some evidence of malpractice. That's not good for me. And then the hospitals didn't want it because if a patient at Memorial Sloan Kettering with you know some cancer diagnosis leaves to um, Cedar Sinai, they just lost eight million dollars, right? So they don't want patient leakage. If it's hard to get your records out, it's a lower chance of you switching doctors. Um, and then the third is the EMRs who just house all this data and build products off of it. Whether it's a clinical tool, clinical research, population health, they can build lots of tools off the data that they can sell. So when I said earlier, one of the big problems was misalignment of incentives. This is, this is the big one. Um, thankfully, the provider kind of use case opened up and we're running the provider use case today. And, you know, we have a 90, I think this last month was like a 93% success rate in finding records through our API. And we find out over a hundred records per patient per search. So like we're, we find a lot of data um, on patients. Uh, it works really well. But if you switch that doctor out in the seat, to you, yourself, requesting your own record, you get zero. The hospitals will not give you your data today. Just won't do it. Flat out refuse. That's against the law. They can't be doing that, but they don't care. Um, they rather, they'd rather take the fines. They are budgeting the fines into their fiscal planning. 
Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I know um, you can download, quote unquote, your records, some providers, but. So, yeah, this is so this is the question of how. Right. Right. Is it is it easy to do or is it is it hard to do? And kind of the evolution of this has been first fax machine. Right. CD-ROMs then patient portals. And you're probably thinking of patient portals where you go to your doctor's website, you log in with your username or password. The problem with that is if you're a sick person, you've probably seen five, six, seven doctors in the last five, 10 years. You don't know your username and passwords. Plus that EMR does not share your entire record in the portal. It's a portion of your record. You don't get doctor's notes. You don't get a lot of the stuff that you might need. So it's an imperfect mechanism that has never worked that well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, when my wife, Jane, was sick with leukemia. Oh, man. Uh, she, yeah, she died five years ago from it. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we, we were a Kaiser. We were at Kaiser and she was getting a bone marrow transplant. She had to get a bone marrow transplant. So we had to go to Stanford for that. And so it's like, well, it's probably share some of these records back and forth. So doctor to doctor, right? Um, relatively seamless, I think, cause I think they either use the same system or there was some integration or whatever, but I remember having to go get the pathology slides to get a second opinion and just filling the forms out for these pathology slides that they literally handed to me in a manila envelope. Yeah. And I handed to the doctor that we were doing the second opinion for because they weren't digital or whatever. And I remember I'm holding these things like they're gold because like I know, cause that's the job I was in. Like these are one of a kind. The, you'll never get another one of these kind of pathology samples ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there was a bit of friction with that. So it, oh, yeah. is, how, how do you think it's going to change? Cause you, you mentioned the incentives aren't aligned. You mentioned, um, especially on the like, uh, health community health stuff. They, they make money on that. Uh, do you see, additional legislation is going to have to happen? Is it just going to be patient driven? Like what's the landscape going to open up to? Because I mean, this is game changing, right? So it depends on what the office of civil rights wants to do under HHS, right? So the penalties for blocking information for consumers really begin in October. So we're kind of still in that provider to provider exchange world right now, which is working really well. Um, if the office of office of civil rights decides to go hard, <laughs> right? Get the complaints, follow up on the complaints, do the investigations and issue the fines. The fines go up to a million dollars per infraction. Like these aren't tiny fines. These are big fines. If they decide to really enforce it, it'll, it'll open us up and consumers will be able to grab their data and share it with whoever they need to share it with. If they don't decide to do that, nothing's going to change. So it's really on it's really on the Office of Civil Rights to, to either take this seriously or bend to lobbyists and, you know, turn, turn the cold shoulder. OCR has never been historically the fastest moving or, you know, most, um, most execution oriented group of HHS. Let's put it that way. Um, so it's, it's a little bit shaky, uh, you know, today. I, I think everyone's kind of holding their breath on both sides of the party um, party lines of, are they going to do it? or Are they not going to do it? We're, we'll find out, um, by the end of the year. Interesting. Wow. So literally up to enforcement of fines 
whether or not this accelerates. Do, do you think, I mean, the, the, there seems to be in the long run, this is going to happen, right? Is it just a matter of time? Well, that's, that's the, how could it not? <laughs> well, that's true. Well, yeah, like we, we look at other industries, like if you look at the finance industry as well. Yes. You know, fintech is one side of it, but there's another side of it that's still antiquated using spreadsheets with macros in it. For sure. For sure. Right? And yeah. so is it an age thing? You think people just age out and retire and then people are like, hey, man, look, like, because I read an article about the rise of uh, millennial and Gen Z or Gen Z's, you know, they're starting at like, I don't, I don't, I don't think they would tolerate this. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I don't tolerate it. I'm Gen X and I'm like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like, it, I, I think it is partially that like, you know, I've been into the OCR and o- OAG before and um, they're not, no one there from Gen Z is working, right? <laughs> that, that mentality doesn't really exist there. Um, in a, I want my information when I want it on demand every second of the day type of mentality. Um, that's not the mentality. Uh, but the consumer workforce coming is. So the question is, is, is Gen Z or Gen X or, you know, millennial, whoever it is, are they going to be, is the demand going to be big enough to push that over the line? Um, we'll see. Yeah. 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 Wow. I think it is though. I really do think it is because it doesn't make sense. Well, not, and, not to happen. Well, yeah. And, and like it, you know, it, okay. Back in the day, you're older, you're boomer, you're my generation. I mean, we're used to this crappy healthcare system to be honest. Right. Don't get sick. That's the rule. Just don't never interact with it. Right. Over time, it's been all about being, you know, thriving and like preventative. And, you know, now there's holistic and you've got people they're doing, you know, Eastern and Western medicine. I mean, there's, there's a modality where, Oh, you know what? People are just going to take a pill or get it cut out of them. They're like, there's legitimate movement towards a more holistic approach. And the fact that more and more people are like, no, it's my data. Like it's me. Like I own it. Like my mom's generation, you know, me, cusp of it. We never thought we owned anything when it came to healthcare and right. choice never was never a choice. You know what I mean? Is that like, so that, that's, this is what, so you're, you're talking about like the older generations, maybe go to your, your same primary care doc for 25 years down the street. The new generations do not do that. There's no chance they're going to go to a primary care doctor in the future. They're going to use telemedicine. They're going to use doctor texting. They're going to use digital pharmacies. In order for those things to work, these APIs and this data liquidity has to happen. It won't work without it. If you can't get data from one telemedicine visit to another telemedicine visit to your digital pharmacy to fulfill scripts, it doesn't work. So if there is demand from a younger generation to have a digital healthcare ecosystem, then the infrastructure to support that digital uh, healthcare ecosystem has to exist. And that's where we play like a pivotal role is that clinical data exchange piece of the puzzle. Yeah. This prevents competition. The, 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 the non-sharing of this data is really the crux of competitive. Cause yes. I remember, you know, like if, if you like, you know, my fiance, okay. She goes, she's in a, what are they called? A PPO. I don't know. Yeah. PPO. Yeah, it's a nightmare for me to figure this stuff out. So she's got to pick all the people she wants and then they got to share data. 
And then literally like, oh, go pick your file up. I mean, they still do this. Right? Oh, your slides or whatever, right? Like what I did yeah. for Jane. It's hard, to, it's hard to have a choice. So yeah, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you don't have a choice. And I think it's interesting because the more fluid, well, not fluid is the wrong word, but the more, the more the ability to easily share data back and forth allows the consumer to have more choice. So think about this analogy. This is what this starts to bend the mind a little bit. Um, before Plaid in the fintech space, uh, Bank of America and all these banks had ways to send money from your bank to your friend's bank account, but they sucked. And the reason they sucked was because they built those tools for Bank of America and for Chase, not for the consumer. As soon as Plaid stood up, the API, Venmo said, I'm not going to build the Bank of America data uh, money exchange tool. I'm going to build the consumer money exchange tool. And it works really well and everybody freaking uses it. And now we have a really awesome tool in our pocket that we use all the time. Same thing in healthcare. In the old days, you're like, if I want to build a healthcare solution, I have to go partner with a bunch of hospitals and build something. You ended up building stuff for hospitals that people don't really like. Instead, if we had an API that worked, you could go build something for patients or consumers that had no adherence to what the hospital wanted or the insurance company wanted at all. You just build something for the person that is sick or looking for care or whatever. That same analogy works in both categories, right? And in healthcare, it doesn't exist today. There's no opportunity to go build something separate from a hospital or from a payer. Because like you said, they're inhibiting the competition by hoarding the data. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. Because I've always wondered why every year healthcare just goes up by 10%. It's like, just it just goes up. Like, I don't have it's any the only way they can make more money. Yeah. And, and also, switching is hard. You know, especially, you know, if you have a kid, that's can be even harder, right? Because you're like, God, yeah. you know, they know the kid or whatever. Even you, if, if you are like someone that has well, maybe not chronic problems, but let's just say you go to the doctor regularly, right? There's a certain amount of like, I like this doctor, but there is no choice. I mean, there's, there's more choice on going to, I'm picking a dentist yeah. than, than there is to picking a doctor. And yeah, you, you've you've got more choice in the cell phone you have and the uh, where you go totally. to dinner. <laughs> then you're like totally super healthcare provider. Wow, totally interesting. And so, where I mean, how, how's the how do you see how do you see it, the growth going? Right now, you're going with providers, like that's sort of been the main thing. How do you see the rest of it? piece now i gotta believe when they start seeing it go in this particular segment people are gonna be like okay we need this we need to take this seriously yeah so when i say providers what i really mean is digital healthcare solutions that have providers on them right it's like telemedicine chronic like yeah chronic kidney disease whatever it is um we do sell to some hospital groups or provider groups so like one medical is a customer and oak street health is a customer but um just to clarify, it's usually digital solutions. Um, to your point, though, yeah, we're this is where we started because this is what you can do <laughs> today. Um, by the end of the year, we expect the consumer side to open up, and that that changes the game quite a bit, right? That means any any solution ever is a potential customer if the consumer wants to share their data with that third party. 
we particle like our company can't be the like ethics group that says no you're you shouldn't be sharing data with this app <laughs> we we don't think it's good for you so we're going to not do it that's not our role our role is to allow the consumer to share their data and revoke access to their data um when and where they want that's the that's the role we take so you're like the would it be the clearinghouse i don't how does that kind of work cuz there there was another um, company I interviewed called Tiki and they were doing uh, like you owned your identity. You know how the, the, the cookie list future is coming and all this privacy mm-hmm. and stuff. And they're like, you know, companies monetize who you are, but you don't get paid for it. They're like, we're going to make sure you get paid for it. And, right. I, and their model was they had, they minted, you know, NFT it, tech geeky stuff, but sure they were sort of the keeper of your identity and you could parse it out to whoever you wanted to. Is that sort of what you're going to be? You, you, I'm assuming the consumer would have an account and then collect all their data and it would sync in their account on particle. You wouldn't even know we exist. Oh, okay. Okay. You download an app off the app store. Let's say, let's just make this up. Let's say it's an app that's going to help you pick your, the best doctor for you. Okay. Um, you go to the app store, you download the app, you sign up for it, you put in your name, your email address, right? All this stuff, your address, your phone number. You then sign a HIPAA authorization form, like you would at a doctor's office, and you confirm your identity with a picture of your driver's license. At that point, we have everything we need. We've got your demographics, your identity, and your HIPAA authorization form. We go out to all of the connections that we have, to all the hospitals and practices and clinics. We find all your data. We clean it, we standardize it, we parse it out, and then we pass it into the application that you downloaded. That application then says, based on your clinical history, this is the best three doctors in your area for you. Because you have diabetes, this doctor specializes in diabetes care. He's really good at diabetes care. That's what we do. You don't even know we exist. You sign up on the app, we pull your data, the app does its thing, bing, bang, boom. The caveat to that is we do, we will have a way for you to go into Particle and see who you've given access to data to in the past, and then revoke access to those organizations if you don't want them to have access anymore. Hmm. You're almost like Stripe. Like from a, almost, I mean, I, okay. It's mixes of this and mixes it's, of yeah. that. And yeah. So it'd be like a mix of Stripe and I'm trying to think of another thing where you connect something to it. The one we, we always use is Stripe, Plaid, and Twilio. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, big, the big three. The big three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super interesting. And is it hard having to explain this to a legacy industry that's stuck in the fax machine mode? Funny enough, no. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. it's, most people know what an API is and they know what clinical data is. And when we tell them, you know, nine times out of 10, we're going to find all your patient records to the API. They're like, okay, get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the value proposition we, we pitch is pretty straightforward and clear to anyone with, you know, a technology title. So you usually sell into what IT, what do you, who are you normally sell into? We typically work between product and clinical teams, um, technical product teams, mostly. Um, so there, there has to be somebody asking the questions about how do I implement the API? What is the structure of the data? How do I get it into my workflow? And there also has to be kind of the end user validation of 
these are the data points I want. This is how I want them to look. This is what will help me treat these patients the best and get the best patient outcomes at the end of the day. So you kind of have to have the two pieces of the technical validation and the clinical validation. Yeah, I would, you know, you mentioned one, one medical that, that's a client. And I think there's like carbon health. There's a bunch of these sort of, I don't know what, what, yeah. what do they call themselves? Are they like health and boutique? I don't know what the term would be. Next gen primary care, um, technology enabled primary care. I don't know. Hmm. Cause I've been to one of them, the carbon, I've been to carbon health before to get a COVID test. Cause yeah. I'm like, Oh, I need to get a COVID test for something. And I have Kaiser as my primary and back I couldn't get in a, I couldn't get an appointment for like, I don't know, months to get a COVID test. This was back when we got back in the day. Right. 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 Like in in the, in the way back machine, but then I download the carbon health app. I go COVID test my area. Boom. And he goes, Oh, we can set you up today for an appointment. I'm like, really? Voila. Boom. Yeah. And it was, the experience was actually really good. Like it was a, it was a very thoughtful, I don't know what the word is. Thoughtful is a good word. Yeah, it was thoughtful. It was thought out. And, yeah, yeah and, 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 and easy and modern. Because if, I don't, I mean, if you look at the Kaiser app, they have an app yeah. on your phone. Yeah. It looks like uh, an EMR or a, a, an yeah. LMS. <laughs> right. He just said, it's the way they do it is super old school. I mean, I'm shocked they have an app party on, but. Boy, yeah. is it pretty old. And and guess who's going to buy and use Particle and who's not going to buy and use Particle? Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. And and honestly, Kaiser is actually pretty innovative generally. Totally. Right? Like they, they, they spend money on technology, but they go really, it's it's like for them, it's a leg, I mean, legacy, right? Like totally. They, yeah, it's, it's like, what it, like who's thoughtful of like, what does the consumer want? They yeah. want two buttons and having a COVID test. They want all of my medical records to pop up when I arrive at the door. Yeah. Like that's what they're thinking about. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. I always just found it fascinating. Like uh, let's say you had to go to a specialist. Like this is back when I didn't have Kaiser. I was part of a PPO, you know, but they, <laughs> they make you fill out a f- paper form. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. What? <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, like, really? And I'm, Oh man, millions of those forms a day. I'm sure. And, and, and faxed probably oh, yeah, for sure. I, I just wonder when it's going to tip. <laughs> I was like writing this article the other day and I was like, we can entangle quantum particles miles apart. We can send satellites orbiting our planet, delivering high-speed internet, but we're still faxing medical records. It is bananas. I just wonder if it's just going to take this next generation, the, the boomers or the lost generation just dying out. <laughs> I'm optimistic. I'm millennials optimistic. coming in or whatever to be like, this shall I not think, pass. I think we're going to see something happen in the next 12 months. Really? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think the that? rules, the rules are, the, the rules are here. The fines are coming. If maybe they don't jump on the fines immediately in the first three months, there's going to be fines. And I think, I think hospitals are less scared about getting fined and more scared about looking bad. And if, hmm. if, um, if like reputation, may, if may, reputation is so important to them, if, if Memorial Sloan Kettering or Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or Kaiser gets a big red, I got fined for not sharing patient data legally. 
it doesn't look good. And that's, I think, going to be a big driving force here is, is the whoever gets called out first. My, my hunch is a couple fines come through, a couple million bucks, it's all over the news. And every hospital in the country turns around and is like, why the hell are we not compliant with this rule? Like we need to be letting consumers access their data today. I think it takes it takes one to start tipping the the tower over. Yeah, there's usually always the catalyst, right? The one. I mean, it doesn't now. It's probably not one, but the lead up to the one that just makes everyone like domino yeah. fall. Next twelve months, huh? I think so. Interesting. I do think it will help competition for sure. Oh yeah. Because if it's easier to share your data, you're going to, you have choices. Yes. Um, we, yeah. a, we should have choices. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Have choices? yeah. I know. Especially healthcare. I mean, you know, there's the whole debate about, you know, private versus public and, you know, there's, we could go on infinitum about, mm. you know, what, what, what's the best strategy, but clearly, competition is a good strategy for, you know, making it more innovative. That's the reason why it's not innovative. And there's other, you know, other um, industries where that's exactly the same thing. You know, you see it. I, I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the cool. I, I can't wait to look at all the fintech innovations that happens and yeah. like splice them together with all yeah. the healthcare innovations that happen. There's so many analogies between the two. Yeah. Just splice them together. Yeah. And same issues with privacy and the regulation more it's on very the similar. stuff. But very like you know transaction security like exact. I mean the parallels are uncanny, but it's also interesting that you know the, the free market people, which of course if you're an entrepreneur and a capitalist you are, it takes government regulation to to have them do what the right thing for the consumer, which always blo- blows my mind and always is like the libertarian cause and the Republican general conservative thing. It's like no. This is an example where companies had to be told the right thing to do, which yeah. I sometimes have a hard time with because I'm like, free to be you and me, right? But no. I mean, like at this point, I mean, I haven't been around that long, but it's a capitalist society and companies will continuously, every chance they get to pick self-serving options every single yeah. time. Yeah. That's just the way it is. That's the way we're set up. That's the way it's always going to be. Yeah. Regulation is the only thing that can change that really. Yeah. Unless somebody comes up with a new model that can disrupt it and, you know, the benefits outweigh the, the fallbacks type of a thing. But um, I, that's, you can, you can predict every decision a company is going to make by how self-serving it is. Yeah. And there's also, what's interesting about regulation, it's like a two-edged sword. If you look at like the pharmaceutical industry, which are highly regulated FDA or whatever, they've put up barriers to innovation that the small folk can't penetrate this they're like, oh, we don't need reg, and, you're, and they're like secretly like paying people to put a walled garden around their entire industry, where totally. no upstart. Like, oh, you're already part of the club, you're cool, but yeah, it costs you know billions of dollars to do a drug. It's because they've put it in there. It's not, oh, we if we had less regulation. I mean, you you even see that with you see it with the with the COVID vaccine, right? Classic example of, you know those companies are the only ones that could do that based on just infrastructure. But then you also look at like the cost to develop and the streamlining. And then, you know, the entire world could have got that vaccine like that, but you saw like, how much are we going to charge for it? You're like, look, we, U S <laughs> government paid for it, paid for some yeah. of it. 
right? And you're like, that's a regulate, that's a, that's a deal regular. I mean, you know, good on them for doing it. Like whatever you think of the vaccine or whatever, good, like probably, you know, Nobel prize worthy game changing for the entire world, like good stuff. For sure. But the, like, the way that it was monetized, like the record yeah. profits and like, you know, when you look at the CEO of Pfizer, it's like, yeah, hey, you're going to need a shot every year. Well, of course, <laughs> I get made, they make yeah. money on it. But that's the regulatory framework too, because you look at totally. the, the only companies that could have done that were Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna, all because they're just, they're part of the machine. They're set up, they're set they're up right? Machine. Yeah. You know, they're sitting behind the door saying, you know, you're, you're only going to need one shot every 10 years. And they're like, yeah, let's water it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're going to need once a year. And, yeah, and we're again, gonna... <laughs> you know, depending on your, if you're, you know, in a, in a risk group, whatever, right? Like that's it. Okay, fine. The choice is good. And again, credit where credit's due. That was an amazing totally. technical challenge to overcome totally. in a short amount of time. And kudos to the like you see that's when sure. innovation and free market come together but then you're like and you made how many billion i don't mind you making money don't get me wrong but I mean, how many billions like that and who paid for the development oh well, all yeah. right you know who's really this is the, but this is this is the system we're in yeah, so like true, you know true. like all you can really learn the rules and learn how to work work with them yeah i like the fact that you think it's going to change in the next i do year. I, you see, I mean, I've, I've been waiting for this for five years, right? When I started this company, I was like, you know, this might happen next year. <laughs> you know, this might happen next year. This might happen next year. Um, I say that in, in with transparency because I, I've been able to like see the signals, right? And I know the right people to like listen to now. And I, I see it um, starting to tip. I see language being written into policy that is a, you must do this, not a, you shall or can do this, right? It's it's um it's starting to get more rigid. The requirements are there, not just the suggestions anymore. And um, it seems incredibly imminent now, which is awesome, super awesome. And and what what drove what's driving that? Is it the next generation? Is it just they look at the it's, challenges? It's or what? it's the rules Obama put into place way back when, slowly developing and slowly getting enforced and codified and ratified. I mean, the U.S. is the only country in the world that creates a rule and then leaves private industry to figure out the standards and the policies and the, the way that rule will actually play out. Say, this is the law, but we're not going to tell you how to follow the law. You go figure out how to follow it. You go build the technology that it enables that law to work. Every other country develops standards in conjunction with laws <laughs> because it's like, you know, the two sides of the coin, but this is a weird country. And so private industry has developed the technology, look at particle to enforce those rules and make those rules a reality. So I think it takes longer, but it, it um, maintains the kind of, you know, free market world that, that the U.S. thrives in. Yeah, it, it seems inefficient, but then again, it seems... What's it's it's probably on? slower, but it's much higher quality, right? If the government yes, is creating standards, good it wouldn't be great, good but point. it takes double as to triple as long. Yeah. It creates, it creates way more room for innovation. Yeah. I mean, it's imperfect as it is, but I think it's the best way. I mean, I, I always look at, you know, I always use the analogy of uh, centralized planning versus decentralized planning. If you look at every country mostly communists that had centralized planning 
it just fell apart. It, it's not sustainable because you don't, the central committee, quote unquote, doesn't know what a little region, you know, depending on how diverse it is, right? And then what you look at in any kind of decentralized system, there is, it's not as efficient. It's more robust to disruption. And you see that even in the supply chain problems. Mm-hmm. The consolidation of the supply chain is brittle. You know, in that centralized control, decentralized right. is more market freedom and We'll leave it up to you to interpret it, which again is messy, but and takes longer. But I do yeah. think it. I do. I, th- I think to your point, which I really like, I do think it improves the quality for sure. Yeah, I mean, because it, it creates competition, and the best survives, and then the best becomes the standard. Yeah, 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 and it is a bit a bit cutthroat. And I know a lot of a lot of other folks that are more everyone should win kind of thing, but that doesn't produce good. Like you have no guarantee of outcome, only the opportunity to generate the outcome, I think. And so, so do you see more competitors coming into your space given sort of. It's an interesting question. It's such a hard space to get up and running in. Mm -hmm. It just takes Mm -hmm. a lot to learn, develop and roll out that the barrier of entry is really high. Right. So there's not a billion companies out here trying to do this. There's a couple, um, even the ones that exist today, there's, I'd say there's us and two others, maybe one other, really, we're all diverging in our own directions anyway, because it's, it's a big market and it's a hard one to get into. So you've got a small number of competitors and a lot of different opportunity zones to go after. So even though we might look relatively similar today, I think we're going to look vastly different in the next five years, um, depending on which customers we go after and how we want to differentiate our products and what things we want to be good at and what things we care less about. Um, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be some, there's going to be variation in the types of comp- competition. Hmm. You guys, do you think we'll share data? <laughs> we already are. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we share, we share all the data back. We, awesome. it, yeah, we, we, uh, we walk the talk. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's, imp- cause I think one of the things I also saw in, in what you guys do is that you have some analytics and insights because you're collecting all these things. And I'm assuming, yeah. you know, based on HIPAA and, you know, PPI, all the regulations, you could probably glean some pretty good industry knowledge, right? Is that for sure part of it um, too? So the, the main piece we're focused on right now is we can go get all your records. Cool. Um, you know, if our, cus- our customers query 2000 people, we might find a million records on those 2000 people. Like we find lots of data on people, especially if they're chronically ill people. That's great that we can go get their records, but the customers are always like, okay, what do I do with 30 gigabytes of data on 2000 people? And so that's where insights comes in. That's saying, here's the patients that look like they're the sickest, or here's the last, you know, lab results that were out of range for these patients. We're trying to get the important stuff out of the record and get it to the doctor faster, kind of this um, value added service on top of just the raw data that we're able to obtain. That's where we're focused right now. Kind of what your question was basically asking, which I, is something else where we think about is, okay, we just pulled a lot of data on a lot of people. What, a, what if we look at a population of people and look at who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, who's, what regions are developing COVID right now? Like that's stuff we can definitely do in the future, but we're not doing today. Yeah, because it's the same problem that the finance industry has. There's an analogy, right? Like how do you understand financial markets and insights? Yeah. And everyone has data, oh, yeah. but- totally. Yeah. Plaid, plaid did this too, right? We're not reinventing right. the wheel here. Like, no, no, no. Like, we'll, get, 
look at your bank statement and it was like your cash flow underwriting score and your income based analysis and like they build stuff on top for sure yeah yeah cool awesome well uh troy thank you so much for being on the show this yeah been, uh, quite quite enlightening and, and really just wish you guys the best like this is so important i cannot stress enough to the people that are listening how important it is to be able to share medical records amongst providers i was in this industry for a while and it's it was just a nightmare to try to figure this out and that's the only way we're going to get better healthcare in my opinion that you know totally part of the part of the part of you're part of the solution go you know, yeah go it's, it's a nightmare every day <laughs> <laughs> i thought it'd be like living the dream every day i guess not no it's super fun it's super fun but the the industry sucks <laughs> i that's a great place to end <laughs> yeah that's thanks. good on that note on that note thanks thanks again for being on the show thanks so much Thanks, Troy, for some, wow, just awesome insights. And uh, wow, what a great idea and a great company. I mean, you know, I was in the healthcare business, as everyone knows, for a while in digital health. And I know firsthand <laughs> how, uh, how nutty it could be. So thanks for uh, trying to fix that. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Troy. Troy says when he saw the legislation coming through about sharing health care information, he knew he had to act. For him, quote, it's better to be early than late, he says. Now, this timing thing <laughs> is really important. So um, while I agree that it is good to be early, it's not good to be too early. I've been in companies where I was actually too early. So timing that right is the art, right? It is good to always be first mover because then you become the de facto standard. So when you're thinking about this, ask yourself, am I too really too early? Am I early enough? Am I a little too late? Even if you're a fast follower, I think as long as the industry is growing and things are happening, you know, you want to be in that growth stage or right before the growth stage hits. That is the art. It's hard to, to, to time that, right? Troy discusses the importance of aligning incentives. He doesn't think it will be the fine so much that will change institutional behavior, but the fear of looking bad. The legislation he believes will go a long way to incentivizing hospitals to share data. Consumers are starting to want more flexibility and being able to easily access their data from various providers will enable more freedom of choice. Now, I'm sure most of you didn't know <laughs> how hard it is uh, to actually get your healthcare data. Like you think it's your data, but it turns out sometimes it doesn't feel like it. So uh, really super important when it comes to choice and managing costs of things, right? A lot of times the reason why healthcare is so expensive is because it's captive. Like you really don't have a choice. I mean, look at all the laws and you just sort of realize, oh, this is actually not for my benefit as a consumer. It's for the companies that provide it. So I do think it is uh, vital uh, to be able to share your data in, of course, a safe way that's HIPAA compliant so that you're protected. Um, and I think that will be the choice is ultimately going to happen. And um, if you're in industries that are highly regulated, I think you got to ask yourself the question, does the regulation actually help or hinder competition? Generally, then I know this is counterintuitive, most regulations help the incumbents right? And they always complain that they don't want regulation, but it puts up the wall, uh, huge walls for competition. So 
look at it that way. You know, what regulations may hinder or help me? How, what trend am I seeing? This is really important to kind of time. Hard to do. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but you know, think, think, think about that. Learn the various sides of the industry through his experience in working in the medical field. Then in working with startups in the venture capital firm, Troy had, had fairly quickly gained significant insight into being an entrepreneur in this industry. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about healthcare um, before I went into it, excuse me, um, and had a lot of huge learning curve. So it is definitely beneficial uh, f- if you know a lot more, you get up to speed, you know, the nomenclature, a lot of it is just knowing how people talk about things. So I think uh, if you are going to go into an industry, you know, ask yourself a couple of questions of, you know, do I know, how much do I know about this? How much experience should I go work for a company that does this and then jump to my startup or should I, you know, take more classes or education? I mean, in some cases in healthcare as an example, you could actually get trained in certain aspects. So there you have it. Some of the actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Troy. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.